If you have your Bible with you or you'd like to use one in the back of the pew in front of you, turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 12 this morning, verses 13 to 17. We are going to begin a series of heated questions, even traps for King Jesus, one after another, different groups come to him and confront him with various dilemmas, trying to trap him in his words so that they can kill him. As we preach verse by verse through this book, it just so happens that on Mother's Day, we land on politics as we look at the political trap for Jesus. I think my parents would tell me that preaching on politics on Mother's Day is in itself a political trap. So I'm going to be very careful as I toe the line this morning and try to offer everyone in the room some words of wisdom as we watch Jesus in this political trap. With all that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. This is the word of the Lord. And they sent... To him, that is Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them? Or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. In the 1991 family classic movie, Hook, Peter Pan, a.k.a. Robin Williams, has the opportunity to end his feud with Captain James Hook once and for all. The opportunity is right there to put an end to his nemesis. And right as he's about to finish him off, Peter Pan's little girl speaks up, says, don't do it, Daddy. Captain Hook is just a mean, mean man who needs a mama. And with that word of wisdom, Peter Pan cools off, goes back home. In our world, in this political trap, where every which way you look and every which way you turn, there is trouble and drama, I think I don't need to argue much, but say there are a lot of mean, mean men who just need a mama. The fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, is love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, self-control, 
but what kind of fruit is on our tree? Left or right, I'm not picking on anybody, but I don't see any of that. We need to pay attention to Jesus because we're not the first ones living in a political trap where every which way you turn is wrong. And Jesus shows us what we need the most. Friends, more than anything that this world has to offer, we need the wisdom of God. More than any social agenda, more than any conservative family value, more than any hopes and dreams, we need the wisdom that only God can give. And Jesus shows us what that looks like. But I want to encourage you in this. If you understand that and you want wisdom from God, I have a challenge for you. Proverbs 4, verse 7. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. I love it. Proverbs says, you want wisdom? It's right here. Take it. And friends, Jesus is putting it right here on your plate, ready for you to take. The hardest thing for any of us to do today will be to take it. To believe that it is better than what the world has to offer. To believe what Jesus has to say is better than what you hear on the news tonight. You want wisdom? Come and get it. We're going to look at three elements in this conversation. The first one I want to show you is the king of wisdom himself. I really wrestled with how to make this connect on Mother's Day, and I felt like the best way to do that is just to show you Jesus. And so we're going to look at Jesus, the king of wisdom, in verses 13 to 15. Let's take a look at our king. Read verses 13 to 15 one more time. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians and to trap him in his talk, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? We're in the middle of this argument between Jesus and the teachers in the temple the week of Easter. The clash is coming to a climax. Jesus has already cleared out the temple. He's already predicted that that's coming to an end in one sense with the fig tree. And there's this heated debate and conversation going on between the Jewish leaders and Jesus. And it is all happening in this place in the temple called Solomon's Portico, which is interesting when you think about Solomon as the king of Israel, the wisest king of all time. Solomon had the opportunity to ask for anything he wanted from God, and he said, I want wisdom. God tells him, because you want wisdom and you didn't ask for money, I'm going to give you everything. Have you ever heard someone say, be careful what you wish for? Or be careful what you pray for. A great example is don't pray for patience. 
because you're going to get an opportunity to have some patience. Same is true with wisdom. Solomon prays for wisdom, and, and God says, all right, you got it. Now prove it. Immediately after the prayer, in 1 Kings chapter 3, there's an opportunity for wisdom, a test. Two women who live in the same house come to King Solomon who have given birth. One son from one of the women in the house dies. And the mother in her grief switches children in the middle of the night. And when they wake up, both moms claim the living son. And so they come to the wisest king in the land to figure out what to do. And so Solomon, talk about a children's Bible story. I I remember to this day the artwork of this. Solomon takes the boy and with a sword says, I know what we're going to do. We're going to cut this boy in two and I'll give each mom half. That's true. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine a, a VBS skit? <laughs> the Bible is not G-rated. That's for free. And, and in the midst of that, the true mom speaks up and says, don't do it. Let the other mom have the boy. I would rather my son grow up whole than to be proven right. Ooh, there's a political word. Let her have it. Let her have him. And, and, and so Solomon proves through this wise sword who the real mom is. And watch what happens. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28. All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. They were amazed at the wisdom of God in the king. Now you get to Solomon's porch in the temple, and guess what just happens? Another son of David, king of Israel, gets a test of wisdom. Verse 13 tells us, though, it's not just a test, it's a trap. This is an intentional doing. They're they're trying to trick Jesus. The question is such that no matter how he speaks, there's going to be trouble. We'll get into the details in a minute. And after he speaks, you can look at the end, the people respond the same way. At the end of verse 17, they marvel at this king and the wisdom of God to do justice. Brothers and sisters, look at who Jesus is and what he brings to the table. In Matthew 12, verse 42, Jesus said, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, check this out, look, something greater than Solomon is here. People journeyed all across the world to see Solomon and to hear him speak, and I'm even better. Do you know how much wisdom I have to offer you, says King Jesus. Friends, this is the hope that 
the God of the Jews had been promising all along. The Pharisees should have understood. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Messiah, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is who our hope is. Do you see how much we need Jesus today? Romans chapter 3, verse 11 tells us our problem. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You see, no one has wisdom. You've heard this thing called common sense. That thing is a myth. There's no such thing. The only thing we have in common is ignorance. The only thing we have in common is foolishness and rebellion. No one, no Republican, no Democrat, no conservative, no liberal, no American, no person from any other country, no one in this century, no one in the last century, no founding father, no no important figure today, no one understands. Not you, not me. Not our kids, not our grand. No one. We all chose our own path. We all chose our sin. You notice this this language in Romans. It's not just a holiness problem. It's not just an intelligence problem. It's a wisdom problem. Our sin is a wisdom issue. We can't see up for down. We can't see left for right. People without Christ have no hope for seeing things clearly on their own. The Bible calls this the time of ignorance. And God sent his son Jesus to die so that he could open the eyes of the blind and open our minds to the truth and so that we could see who he is as our king of wisdom. That's why 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 to 31 says, Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I just want you to see in that verse, we often think about Jesus and his salvation just in terms of the moral, just in terms of the righteousness and the sanctification and the redemption. And all of that's essential and important. But Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, it's just as important and essential that Jesus becomes your wisdom. If Christ is not your wisdom and Christ is not in you and has not renewed your mind, you cannot understand God. And friends, the reason for that is our sin. But if you turn from that, And put your trust, not in your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and the wisdom of Christ who lived a perfect life and died on the cross for you and rose from the grave. Jesus will become your wisdom and he will live inside of you and give you a new mind and a new heart so that you can walk his way. Friend, if that's never happened in your life, I want you to see that good news and get wisdom. But friends, for all of us who belong to him, all of us who who have Christ as our wisdom, hear me. 
Doesn't it feel like every single day of our life, at least for the last couple of years, but probably longer than that, feels like a trap? No matter what you say, you're going to tick someone off. No matter what you decide to do, no matter what stance you take, remember who's living inside of you. You have the king of wisdom. Colossians 2, verse 3, Paul tells us, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything that God has to offer, which is kind of a lot, is accessible to you through Christ and through his word. And so there is no political trap. There is no trap period that we cannot walk through if we are dependent on him. James Chapter 1, verse 5, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Second element I want you to see in this passage is the reason we're here in this argument, the need for wisdom. What's going on in this conversation that Jesus needs wisdom? And then we're going to apply it at the end. We're going to look at verses 13 to 14 to see the need. They sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? This isn't really the point, but I want you to see a couple things really quick. It's plain and obvious right here. Two things. One, you can be right about Jesus and not mean a word. Hello. Listen, Bible Belt Christianity, where everybody in town knows something about Jesus and something about the cross. Just because you have some information about Jesus And just because you say them out of your mouth doesn't mean you know Jesus. Because every word they say about Jesus is right. The second thing you need to see is that Jesus sees it all. After they get done with their flattery, talking about how great Jesus is, deep down in their heart, they don't really mean any of it. They're just trying to trap him. It says, Jesus saw their hypocrisy. Friends, you can play a lot of games and play a lot of tricks and get by fooling a lot of people, but Jesus sees it all. He's wise enough to see through that. But Jesus is true. Jesus is not swayed by opinions. Jesus was politically incorrect before anybody thought that was cool. Jesus is not swayed by appearances. Jesus truly teaches the way of God. He said it himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And because that's true, that includes these Pharisees. They're not getting to God except through him. He sees through the trap. I just want us to see it. I want you to see this trap so that we can appreciate how crazy Jesus' answer is at the end. You got to know some some facts about what's going on here. The tax that they're talking about is the imperial poll tax. Everybody hated the imperial poll tax. 
if we, if we took a show of hands, I don't think there'd be a single tax that we'd all agree we like. It was true back then, too. Nobody liked any tax. But if they hated one tax above them all, it was the imperial poll tax. It was first instituted in 6 AD, and they hated it enough that the Jewish people revolted. It's where the zealot movement started. If that rings some bells, one of Jesus' disciples is a zealot. They went to war over this imperial tax. Now, we're in about 30, 33 AD, somewhere around there. Fast forward 30 years later, there's another war and another revolt in the late 60s because of this imperial poll tax. And it was such a skirmish, such a revolution that it ultimately led to the destruction of the Jewish temple and all of the things that Jesus was predicting in Mark chapter 12 and chapter 13. What I'm trying to show you is not just for a decade and not just for one presidential term, but for 60, 70 years, an entire lifetime, the most heated discussion in politics in the first century was this imperial tax. It would be like bringing Jesus up front in March 2020 and asking him about face masks. It was the question. What was Jesus going to do with this fire starter? It was not just a political nightmare. It was a theological problem. I don't have a coin on me. But like our coins, there was a heads and there was tails. And both sides of the coin made it impossible for an obedient Jew to use this coin. Now, you want to see something funny. In the middle of this debate, where does the coin come from? Whose pocket is the coin in? Not Jesus's. It's the Pharisees who want to ask about the problem. They don't have any trouble holding one of these coins in their pocket. And the, the problem with that is on the head side, there's the image of the emperor with the official title in Latin, son of the divine. And on the back side, the tail side of the coin, there's a picture of his wife, I believe. And the Latin says, high priest. And so, for a Jew who follows the Ten Commandments, you know that one, no graven images, no other gods before me. Just carrying this coin around, just using it for a single purchase is claiming that the, the ruler of the empire is the son of God and his wife is the high priest between God and man. Blasphemy. Sacrilegious. Impossible. And here's the catch-22. Here's the rub. Here's the trap. Are you, you tracking with me? If Jesus says, take the coin and pay the tax, he's endorsing pagan idolatry. He's reinforcing this tyrannical king who has no right over Israel and his power over them. But if Jesus says, don't pay the tax, he's giving Rome a reason to kill him. He's breaking a Roman law. And Pilate, at the end of the story, wouldn't be able to say, I find no guilt in him. 
If Jesus was running around like a zealot telling people don't pay tax, he would crucify him like that. And when the crowd keeps chanting, crucify, crucify, Pilate couldn't say in Mark 15, verse 14, why? What evil has he done? So they have Jesus right where they want him. Track with me for a minute. If he joins the liberals or the conservatives, the threat melts away. If he devotes himself to either party, the pro-tax or the anti-tax party, it's done. He's done. What separates Jesus is that he doesn't fit in their preconceived political boxes to the left or the right. And he refuses to be. When offered the opportunity, he speaks a different way. And it's the way we need. So the third element I want you to see is the way of wisdom. We've seen the king of wisdom. We've seen the need of wisdom. Now I'm going to show you the way. Look at verses 15 to 17. Knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. He doesn't answer like a zealot. And he doesn't answer like a pagan. Do you know why? You got to read between the lines here. Jesus' answer, it proves there isn't a trap at all. It actually doesn't exist. His answer, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. These things aren't in- incompatible. They're not mutually exclusive. You can be left and right at the same time. Do both. Give honor to both where they're supposed to be given honor. Be on both sides of the line. It's paradox breaking. I mean, it's, it's mind shifting. The catch 22 is a mirage in the political desert. Loyalty to both, God and Caesar, Jesus says, are not only allowed, they're expected. Now hold on to that for a minute. There's two parts to Jesus' answer I want you to see. The first is the play on words. This is, you, you got to see this to understand what Jesus is saying. In verse 14, look at the question they asked Jesus. He says, they say, should we pay the taxes or not? Now in my version, his answer, verse 17, Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now, in the original, these are two different words, but they have the same root word. They have a similar root. The way it really translates that would be most helpful to you and me as we think about this is they ask the question, should we pay Caesar? And Jesus says, no, pay him back. The word render literally means pay back. And so they're asking the question, should we, out of our own goodness or out of, out of our own expense, give to Caesar something that is new to him? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Give him back what was already his. 
So the answer is pointing to the fact that, that Caesar is owed something. Jesus tells them to return the money because it came from Caesar to begin with. Most practically, what he's saying is, how did you get to the temple? And the Pharisees would have to say, well, we walked on the road. Who built the road? The Romans. And where did they get that money? The tax. So since you're using the gifts of the Roman Empire and walking on their roads, and they are taxing the citizens to to use these roads, give them back their money. If you're using their benefits, pay them back. Romans 13, verse 1, Paul tells us, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So right off the bat, the answer clearly says insurrection is not an option. Civil disobedience is not a must. If God put the authority above you and they're not telling you to sin, obey them. Now, their authority is not exhaustive and not universal, and there are limits. And so I want you to see one more thing, one more element to this answer. There's the image factor. Look at verse 16. Jesus' response, he says, whose likeness is this? Do you think Jesus does not know? If my kids and your kids can look at a penny and tell you that that's a president from the 19th century, Abraham Lincoln, don't you think Jesus could answer who the current Caesar is? He knows the answer. He knows who's on the coin. He's got a different purpose. That word likeness, especially in a conversation with rabbi, sends you on this theological trail to creation. Genesis 1 verse 26, when God made everything, said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So here's the flip side. Jesus saying, yeah, the Romans made the roads, so you should pay them the road tax, but how much did God make? How much did God invest into this world? And how much are you using of that? So considering all Caesar has rendered to God, what is God? Psalm 24, verses 1 to 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. How much do we owe our Creator? Jesus answers the question in this chapter. I'm going to skip ahead and show you. Mark 12, verse 30. Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Brothers and sisters, stick with me for a few minutes. I'm going to come to your neighborhood and give you something to take home. I'm going to hit every single person in this room, no matter your political bent, I promise. I'll be an equal opportunity offender. But just stick with me for two seconds. It would be real easy for me to tie all of this in 2022 and election season 
and play political pastor. And it would be easy for me to rail on the current events and the headlines of the week and say what I think. I'm just going to keep it really simple and go on to other matters. Please stick with me for those of you who are super passionate about politics and want to talk about it everywhere you go. If the Bible talks this way about an emperor, a tyrannical leader and dictator who was voted in by nobody, what leader does it not apply to? If Jesus can talk this way about a Roman emperor, every single American leader in nation, state, and local fits under this umbrella. Whether you think they had the votes or not. Jesus isn't in a democracy. And the Bible isn't written to churches where there is freedom. And so the instructions on when to obey and how to submit and how to show honor do not apply when you don't like the candidate. Even if this becomes new China and the church becomes illegal and it becomes illegal to do anything that we are doing, all of these commands still apply. First Peter 2, verse 16 to 17, Paul tells the Romans in the midst of persecution under Nero, who killed Peter himself, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Just look at that real quick. I'm Honor everyone, every side of the aisle. Love the brotherhood, that's the church. Fear God, render to God what is God's, and honor the emperor, whoever he may be or she may be. But Jesus' answer, brother and sister, is far more direct and far more relevant, not to national politics, but to the politics of your heart. This is where I promise to meet everyone. Jesus cares about the throne room of your heart and soul far more than he does the throne room of Washington, D.C., or Moscow, or Beijing, or anywhere else. God is concerned about the kingdom in your heart. How much of your heart does the king really have? Ultimate authority belongs to God. Listen, Jesus deserves your allegiance more than any stars and stripes. King Jesus deserves your honor and respect more than any party, any platform, any agenda, any movement. He deserves everything. He deserves all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. As Psalm 73 puts it, he is to be the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, you have died and all of your old self has died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
hidden in Christ with God. Brothers and sisters, in this world, stop falling into the political trap. You think your life is still here. It's not hiding in Christ. It's being decided by every vote. And you need to defend your life. No, brothers and sisters, you're dead, crucified in Christ, buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in a new life. Surrender to the king what is the king's. To every breath, to your every thought, your every passion. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So may we stop looking to the left and looking to the right and look at the king of wisdom and walk his way. Let's pray.